Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Readout. Just hours ago, House impeachment managers concluded their second and final day of arguments, closing the book on what, under normal circumstances, would be an open and shut case. They presented compelling evidence that, among other things, highlighted Donald Trump's lack of remorse following the historically awful events of January 6th. And in what perhaps was an example of the triumph of hope over reality, they implored the Senate to hold him accountable by convicting and disqualifying him from ever holding office again. President Trump declared his conduct totally appropriate. So if he gets back into office and it happens again, we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. Now, conviction, I should point out, is a feat that would require 17 Republicans to do the unthinkable and turn on Donald Trump. But undeterred, the House managers remained in place trying to do it. Like yesterday's visceral, almost cinematic presentation, they used video to showcase that Trump has a long, long history of inciting and sanctioning violence against his political opponents. And they established, through his prior conduct, that Trump was well aware that his words would have a profound effect on his most extreme followers. Here are just some of their arguments from today. January 6th was not some unexpected radical break from his normal law-abiding and peaceful disposition. This was his state of mind. This was his essential MO. Senators, simply put, this mob was trying to overthrow our government. And they came perilously close to reaching the first three people in line to the presidency. This was not the first time that President Trump inspired violence. But it must be the last time that he's given a platform to do so. Let us show the world that January 6th was not America. And let us remind the world that we are truly their North Star. Moreover, they seized upon what Donald Trump didn't do as the violent siege unfolded on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. He cared more about pressing his efforts to overturn the election than he did about saving lives, our lives. On January 6th, he didn't condemn the attack. He didn't condemn the attackers. Didn't say that he would send help to defend us or defend law enforcement. He didn't react to the violence with shock or horror or dismay as we did. Instead, he issued messages in the afternoon that sided with them. The insurrectionists. The prosecution also showed that in stark contrast with Trump's defenders in the Senate, Republican governors swiftly and immediately blamed Trump for inciting the violence of that day. People have to be held accountable, and yes, that includes the president. His remarks during and after the travesty of the attack on the Capitol were disgraceful. It's clear to me that President Trump has abandoned this sacred oath. The fact these flames of hate and insurrection were lit by the president of the United States will be remembered as one of the darkest chapters in our nation's history. Joining me now is MSNBC Capitol Hill correspondent Garrett Haig. And Garrett, um, probably the most shocking thing that I've heard today 
was that despite all of this, you know, sort of really visceral information um, that was being delivered by the House managers, including hearing lots and lots of Republicans, you know, supporters of the president, people like Chris Christie and Republican members of Congress and Adam Kinzinger and other people just condemning the attacks, former cabinet members saying he could have stopped this, that with that kind of presentation, even hearing their own friends talking, from what I'm hearing, Republicans just ignored it, walked out, didn't stay for the presentation. Just how much of this presentation did these people even stay and listen to? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. I was in the room for a little while this afternoon, and the time I was in there, there was about a dozen Republicans who had walked out who were not uh, sitting there to listen to the presentation. Several of them told reporters afterwards they found the arguments repetitive. But the reality here is this is one of the many ways in which this is not anything like a normal criminal trial. I mean, these senators act as jurors, but they have juror superpowers that no other juror would normally have. And that includes to ignore the evidence when they see fit. I mean, we know that some of these Republicans, uh, the sort of most pro-Trump third of them or so at least, are going to make a political calculation, not an objective decision when it comes to deciding how they'll vote on this, because they've already essentially told us that. They've made a decision about the constitutionality of it. And so you saw, once we got past the really searing emotional footage of yesterday and back into the arguments about the former president's culpability here, a lot of those Republican senators simply tuned it out. Um, They're interesting, and probably maybe some of them didn't enjoy hearing their own names invoked uh, as being co-conspirators. There's also this reporting, um, Mm -hmm. and I believe this is your reporting, so I want you to tease this out for us, that Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and maybe some other Republican senators, this is something jurors don't normally do, went and met with the Trump defense team. Is that the case? That's right. Yeah, just another way in which this is not like a normal trial. Senators Graham, Cruz, and Lee met with the Trump defense team for quite a while after the arguments had wrapped up today to discuss legal strategy for tomorrow. Senator Cruz came out afterwards and told reporters, I mean, this is not something they're hiding. Again, they're working hand in glove, the Trump defense team and some of his most uh, closely aligned senators to come up with an argument that will allow their fellow Republicans, enough of them anyway, to vote to acquit. So expect to hear again a lot tomorrow about constitutionality. Expect to hear these uh, Trump defense attorneys argue that the managers didn't clear this high bar that they believe there is to prove incitement. And if they're listening to their fellow colleagues, the one thing that these Trump defense attorneys are going to have to address, because Republican senators are asking about it, and this could be an Achilles heel for the president, is what did the president know and what was he doing when the attack took place? The testimony, the presentation around that question today was very powerful to a number of these Republican senators, just as it was, by the way, in the House impeachment vote. A lot of House Republicans who voted to impeach the president said that was the source of their anger. And the Trump defense attorneys are ultimately going to face questions about that because that is the kind of thing that a lot of these Republicans, uh, uh, not a lot, but perhaps some, could turn their votes because the idea that the president sort of left them for dead is not something they can stomach. Uh, Yeah, you'd think. Uh, Garrett, hey, great reporting. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you. Um, I want to turn now to Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. And uh, Senator, uh, you are a prosecutor. Um, I'm sure you have a a feeling or two about members of the jury plotting with the defense team on what arguments they might be able to make that would be more persuasive to the other jurors. What do you make of that? 
As Garrett pointed out, this is a trial like no other. And I think we shouldn't be surprised that people of the ilk of Cruz and Holly are meeting with them and talking to them. But I do think it's significant, Joy, that there were, I'd say, about 40 senators, Republicans that were there, nearly every Democrat, uh, most of the time. They were there. They weren't wandering around. And they were like we were yeah. riveted on the yeah. evidence and the facts in this tremendous presentation by the House managers. I don't know what else they could do. They made the case yeah. in a cogent yeah. fashion, showing, as you pointed out earlier, not just what Donald Trump did, but what he didn't do, not calling the National Guard. Vice President Pence had to do that. Leader Schumer and Pelosi and McConnell had to do that, and not telling his people to go home. Um, and then, of course, he could have tweeted out, go home now, and they would have obeyed. Um, and in, he didn't do that. Instead, it's a police officer wedged behind a door, screaming and writhing in pain, uh, who are the people that were literally putting their bodies uh, to save ours um, and literally were standing up for our democracy, which he failed to do. Well, you just made a point that I want to and I'm, I'm switching up what I'm asking my, my, my poor team to do. But I want to play to your very point. Donald Trump's power over his base, I think, is a very important point here. That he has this sort yeah. of mesmerism over millions of people who will do whatever he says. Case in point, the the uh, the guy with the horns on his head, that dude who everybody has come to know as the QAnon shaman, Jacob Angeli. Here he is talking about what he what he ha being obedient, showing how obedient he's one of the uh, insurrectionists. Take a look. What's your message to everybody now? Like, what are you yelling at? Oh, uh, Donald Trump asked everybody to go home. He just said, uh, he just put out a tweet. It's a minute long. He asked everybody to go home. Why do you think so? Because, dude, we won the day. My dad won. Do you, do, you, do you feel like maybe the one extra thing that the uh, managers could do is call witnesses like that guy? <laughs> uh, that's going to be up to them. You always know when a case comes to a certain point, you make a decision on what, how you make your case best. But I thought it was so compelling, the evidence they had today. I hadn't seen some of it before. Uh, the Facebook posts of people showing this is me, showing off to Donald Trump, literally with an arrow, with the words written on the post so he would see it because they wanted their president to know. They literally said, we were invited here. They're yelling at the police officers. They're yelling at the Capitol staff, who, by the way, not enough attention paid on the janitors. And so many of them, black and brown people, had to clean up after these guys, hiding in fear, and then have to go and clean up feces off the walls and blood off the floor. So they're yelling at them. We were invited by the president of the United States. Um, I think it was Joe Neguse yeah. who said, the Congressman Neguse said, he said it and they did it. That's basically what happened the, the, here. And you know these Republicans. You you deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis. H how compelling might the words of other Republicans be? I found the actual Republican, uh, the, the, the clips of Republicans calling on Trump to do the right thing or condemning his actions to have been some of the most compelling testimony today. I'm going to play a little bit of for you. This is Mike Gallagher and Chris Christie that day saying, call it off and talking to Donald Trump. Mr. President. You have got to stop this. You are the only person who can call this off. Call it off. Pretty simple. Um, the president um, caused this protest to occur. He's the only one who can make it stop. What the president says is not good enough. 
That was in real time. I mean, Lindsey Graham was apparently calling Ivanka Trump, begging for Trump to help stop, call off the attack. They, these are their friends, people on their side, Trump people saying, Trump, you're the only one who can stop this. You know these folks. Are there 17 of them who will be moved by Republicans making that argument? I don't know how they could not be moved by what we heard today. Um, but you, we had one changes vote. You know who that was. And that was Senator Cassidy mm -hmm. of Louisiana mm -hmm. and voted to allow the trial to proceed. I do want to make clear that that was kind of the reset. Uh, that was the decision is, and I thought uh, Congressman Raskin made this argument very strongly today. You had to you decide what's the law of the case. The law of the case is that this is constitutional to have an impeachment trial for yep. a president because there's no January exemption. So now it starts fresh and they've got to look at the facts. This is about the facts of the case. And I don't know how this couldn't be compelling. And as you pointed out, Joy, having these Republicans, they were frantic. Kevin McCarthy went on Fox News because the president wasn't doing it. He had to go and say this was wrong and it's against the law and those kinds of things. They also played his words uh, at the trial uh, yesterday. So literally they were all clamoring and trying to get the president to do something. He wouldn't do it. Hour after hour went by and then he ends the day by calling them patriots, by thanking them, by saying he loved them. Yeah. And I didn't see one of them. Josh Hawley wasn't out there giving the high fist to those uh, those people when the insurrectionists were in house. He was running with everybody else. They were all terrified. So I don't know how they make this argument. I don't know how they sleep at night. I'm just being honest. You're a nicer person than me. So you deal with them every day. Senator, Senator Amy Klobuchar. Thank you. Thank you very much. OK. Cheers. With me now is Congressman Adam Schiff of California, who is the lead House manager in the first Trump impeachment. Uh, and Congressman Schiff, I have to tell you, I and I think I've told you this before, I thought your closing in the first impeachment was something every American should listen to. I thought it was brilliant. Um, um, and, you know, so as somebody who's done this gig before, give me your assessment and grade of the closing today. Oh, you know, A++. plus plus plus. Um, I think Jamie Raskin and the team of managers um, flawlessly presented the case powerfully, emotionally. They drew on the Constitution and the law. They drew on common sense. You couldn't make a more persuasive case. Uh, and the facts are on their side. It's so overwhelming. Joy, I, you know, I pointed to something in the last trial that really stood out to me. And, and I think with every case is something that really stands out to each of us. What stands out to me is the president's statement, I think at six o'clock on the night of the insurrection, when multiple people lay dead, the president said, these are the things and events that happen uh, when a landslide election is stripped away. This was the president's reaction. Now, that tweet, I think, tells us all we need to know about the president's intentions, his state of mind. Um, the fact that he willed this to happen, he was pleased it happened, uh, it was foreseeable that it would happen if he incited the crowd. To me, that one statement speaks volumes. Uh, I hope that the, the senators go into this with an open mind. Uh, if they do, there's only one result they can reach, and that's to convict. I think a lot of people, though, are very cynical um, that there are 17 uh, Republicans who have the courage to do it. And when, when you uh, ran the impeachment uh, the first time against Donald Trump, you warned, look, if we let him get away with this, which was, again, trying to fix the election to ensure that he would win by trying to kneecap Joe Biden. 
That was the, he was really doing essentially the same thing. This time he took it to a different level, meaning he has basically paramilitary forces storm the Capitol to try to stop Joe Biden from then being certified as the president. Uh, do you worry that if and when Republicans let him do that and then he's he's allowed to run again? I think there's a lot of legitimate worry that if he goes in knowing that he has paramilitary forces who are willing to be activated by him, including Proud Boys and others who are really dangerous, that his next step will just be to get in and never leave. Well, Joanna, I think you're right. Uh, you know, we made the the point uh, a year ago, uh, sadly prescient as it would turn out, that if he got away with this, if he was allowed to commit impeachable offenses and there was no repercussion, we had to fully expect he would do it again. Uh, if he's not disqualified from running and he does run again, we cannot say we are surprised uh, when he once again lies about an election, incites and inflames people and leads them to violence. Um, you would think that that having the example we've had over the last year, uh, that point would make itself. Uh, and I think that uh, Jamie Raskin made it very powerfully today. Uh, but you're absolutely right. We will have only ourselves to blame if once again, having seen what this man is capable of, we've seen how if he learns anything, he learns that he can get away with anything. Uh, we, yeah. we cannot be surprised uh, if he puts the country through hell again. And just in case people think that, you know, that we're being sort of, you know, over the top here, um, I want everybody to listen. If you missed this today, this was one of the most chilling pieces of tape that was played today in the trial. This is a guy named Coy Griffin. He is a part of or head of something called Cowboys for Trump. And this is what he said after the riot. Now, by the way, this is somebody who had previously said that the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. And Trump you know, name checked him, retweeted him and, and gave him a high five on Twitter after he did that. Here is what he said after he participated in the insurrection. You know, you want to say that that was a, a mob? You want to say that was a violence? No, sir. No, ma'am. No, we could have a Second Amendment rally on those same steps that we had that rally yesterday. You know, and if we do, then... It's going to be a sad day because there's going to be blood running out of that building. But at the end of the day, you mark my word, we will plant our flag on the desk of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Congressman Schiff, do we need to start having a serious conversation, not just about Donald Trump being a bad guy, but about the Republican Party becoming a radicalized anti-democratic institution? Because you can't have a regular party like the Democrats who have their flaws and we can make issue, have issue with them and a party that is willing to seize power by force, because that's what that sounded like to me. Well, no, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think the managers, they're talking about Donald Trump's role because he's the one on trial and that makes perfect sense. Uh, but the, the, there are broader, serious problems with the GOP right now as a party. It has really become a cult of personality around the president. It doesn't have an ideology anymore. It doesn't have principles anymore. And it's willing to welcome in um, white nationalists, QAnon conspiracy theorists, people that will use violence uh, if they don't get their way. Um, and that party needs to, to come to grips uh, with what it's become. Um, it needs to be a party, once again, that stands for something and not just the the cult around Donald Trump. Hopefully somebody sane on that side will listen to you. Congressman Adam Schiff, thank you so much. Always appreciate you being here. And coming up, coming up, the video is the case. 
from Pence's narrow escape to Romney and Schumer, nearly walking right into the mob. The House manager's presentation was riveting and included their very personal experiences. And at 2.30, I heard that terrifying banging on House chamber doors. The prosecution is going to be a tough act to follow, given the overwhelming evidence against Trump. But Trump's lawyers do have one thing going for them. Republican senators undying, undying loyalty to their golden, well, well, technically orange calf. The readout continues after this. The Republicans are refusing to be swayed by the overwhelming mounting evidence showing Donald Trump inciting his supporters to storm the Capitol. In some cases, ignoring that evidence entirely by leaving the room. They are making this up as they go along. It's totally unconstitutional and it is incredibly selfish on the part of the Democrats. And this is a total kangaroo trial. This is a complete waste of time. It's not doing anything to help American families. It's not helping people get jobs. It's not helping get the vaccine out. It's actually, you know, it's vindictive. There's a lot of uh, political theater, it feels like right now. Um, Made made, uh, for TV presentations, very political today. The not guilty vote is growing after today. I think most Republicans found the presentation by the House managers offensive and absurd. Offensive and absurd? Really, Lindsey Graham? Because remember, it was Comrade Lindsey who on January 6th called the White House and Ivanka Trump mid-riot pleading for Trump to call off the attack. But now, since he can't bring himself to convict his Palm Beach puppeteer for inciting the mob, he is instead blaming the cops. It was very emotional. What were those videos and stuff like for you? Well, I just can't believe uh, that we could lose the Capitol like that. I got mad. I mean, these police officers had every right to use deadly force. They should have used it. The people in charge of securing the Capitol let the country down. Wait, wait, wait. What was that part about Blue Lives Matter? Where'd that go? Join me now, Angela Rye, politics and culture commentator and host of the one-on-one with Angela Rye podcast, and Kurt Bardella, former House Oversight Committee spokesman and senior advisor to the Lincoln Project. Uh, Angela, should we pour a little uh, one out for Blue Lives Matter? Because apparently that's dead. Apparently the cops messed up and it's their fault because they didn't shoot a bunch of people, per Lindsay. It is amazing how the slogans can change in a matter of seconds, Joy. What is so fascinating to me is this question that was asked all day, and it was such a compelling question by the impeachment managers, what is worthy of impeachment? Um, He wasn't, you know, wasn't worthy of impeachment last time with the obstruction of justice charge against him. Now it's incitement of insurrection, which, again, I'm continue to call a terrorist attack because it was truly terrorism. And yes, Lindsey Graham was himself also terrified. What I have to ask is if Hillary Clinton's emails are worthy of her being locked up, then why isn't someone who incited a riot Someone who, of course, is not new to this at all, but is perfectly true to this. This started way before he even began his campaign in 2016. This man has a perpetual problem of calling on, you know, calling for death, even in the face of innocence, a la Central Park Five. This is someone who questioned Barack Obama's citizenship, the chief birther himself, right? This is someone who called the coronavirus the Chinese virus. This is someone who had vile attacks 
on Black Lives Matter and our own friends, right? Joy, like had to have to still to this day pay for security <laughs> out of their pocket because of some of the things that Donald Trump has tweeted. Attack Jamel Hill, also our friend, the squad, Congressman Maxine Waters, the attacks on Nancy Pelosi were piling up. That's why they felt so comfortable sitting at her desk. What is worthy of impeachment? And if these folks have taken an oath to Donald Trump that we somehow weren't aware of, that we we should at least know that because now what we understand is protecting Donald Trump is more important than upholding the oath of the Constitution that they took to get into office. And all I have to ask for them, ask of them, is the same thing the impeachment managers asked all day: What is worthy of impeachment? Yeah, apparently, um, Kurt Bardella, consensual sex because they a lot of these people were in office and impeached Bill Clinton. Um, over a sexual affair. Um, but in this case, and they wanted, they were talking a lot of them about a pre-impeachment of Hillary Clinton over her emails or over Benghazi. They called the Benghazi hearings a pre-impeachment, you know, set of hearings. So they, th those are the things they think mm -hmm. are impeachable. It sounds to me like what they're saying is what's impeachable is being a Democrat who is elected to office by a diverse electorate. And when Republicans get elected, elect, then elections don't matter anymore. They must be installed no matter what. Uh, I wonder what you make of what we got a little bit of this color out of NBC's Julie Serkin, who was saying that, you know, a lot of the lawyers just weren't in the room. They left the room and weren't even paying attention. A lot of the members weren't in the room. Graham, Lindsey Graham, returned to his seat when Jamie Raskin was making his closing argument per Julie Serkin around 4.09, when Raskin was uttering the words, put to bed, meaning they did the whole, can we dismiss this trial outright? They had a vote on that. That went down. And he said, so that's been put to bed. The constitutionality argument, Graham and Cornyn looked at each other and laughed. So that means that they are basically going to argue something that's moot. Kurt. You know, I tell you, Joy, <laughs> you know, it speaks volumes that there are Republicans, jurors, right, who can't even be bothered to attend this proceeding and pay attention to it. That right there is disqualifying of what their job is supposed to be. Then you add in the layer that they have blatantly said that nothing's going to change your mind. And I'll tell you, if you watch the proceedings, the presentations that Democrats have offered over the last couple of days, and you don't walk away feeling something, you are a sociopath. There is something fundamentally wrong and broken with you. What we are witnessing is the full embrace of the Republican Party of the most extreme and radical and racist elements of their base. There is no coming back from this. From this point forward, they are the party that champions anti-democratic values. They are the party that champions the silencing of the votes of people of color in this country. They are the party that champions violence and insurrection and domestic terrorism. The Republican Party, if they allow this to happen, and allow no consequences to befall the person who led the charge and literally instructed people to commit violence and mayhem on our capital. If they allow that to happen, the Republican Party is basically a domestic terrorist cell at this point, and they should be treated as such. The idea that this party that spent year after year issuing subpoenas, holding depositions, holding hearings, select committees, had Hillary Clinton in front of the Benghazi committee for more than 10 hours of testimony, that that, that Republican Party can't even be bothered to show up and listen to the presentation of these impeachment managers is, is a betrayal of justice, is a betrayal of everything that this party professed to once stand for. And we should never forget that and never let them off the hook for that.
Uh, you know, Angela, I wanted you to put it on your lawyer hat, your chief counsel, legal counsel hat uh, for me for a moment, because just to preview what apparently the argument is going to be tomorrow, I want you to listen to Congressman Roy Blunt. This is apparently what we're in for tomorrow. Oh, it's a graphic. Sorry. Um, it's well, you know, he's going to say, well, you know, we had a summer where all people all over the country were doing similar kinds of things. I don't know what the other side will show from Seattle and Portland and other places, but you're going to see similar kinds of tragedies there as well. So basically what they're going to do is they're going to try to say that Black Lives Matter rallies where at some point at night somebody, you know, threw a Molotov cocktail at a police car is exactly the same thing. And now I know for my, my team here, can you guys get me the video of Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter storming capitals. Just get me the video right now. Of Black Lives Matter storming capitals. And oh, I'm sorry, that doesn't exist. There isn't any of that. So, your thoughts, Angie? Um, yeah, you know, I we're laughing to keep from crying, right, Joy? This is one of those things where, from the very beginning, from its inception, when people began to say Black Lives Matter, and it was an argument, right? Like this was a point that had to be proven. The fact that Black Lives Matter by its mere existence and by the fact that people would have the nerve to go and protest the right to breathe is in and of itself violent is the exact problem. Roy Blunt should be ashamed of himself. He should know better. What it's what it's what it's looking like is that the only way that Donald Trump could have potentially been impeached is if someone, one of their colleagues would have lost their lives. Because it, what they're not, it's not worthy of an impeachment because a police officer or a participant in the insurrection passed away. When Donald Trump stood on the campaign trail and said that he could um, shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and it would have no effect, I, mean, I know I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially what he said, it's looking like that was right. And I just would challenge the United States Senate on a, in a bipartisan way, because this is really about morality at this point, to search deep in your hearts and look at the facts. BLM is not on trial here is. Your president is. And you need to treat him accordingly. There needs to be consequences for his actions or this is only going to get worse. Yeah. And if they try to put um, members of Congress of color and Black Lives Matter on trial tomorrow, they're going to Period. prove the point that they don't want made, which is that their party is essentially surrendered mm -hmm. fully to white nationalism, because that's at the base of this idea that black people can't elect a president, that it just can be overthrown. They'll just be proving that point. So let's see if they do it. Uh, Angela Rye, Kurt Bardella, you guys are great. Thank you very much. And up next, the gripping personal stories of the House impeachment managers and how Trump's lawyers plan, as we just discussed, to counter the Democrats' overwhelming case. That's right after this. Over the past few days, the House impeachment managers who personally experienced the riot made emotional arguments for the conviction of the disgraced former president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. As I watched the footage of the violence in the Capitol building, my own experience flooded back to me. I was one of the unlucky members who was stuck in the House gallery. We could see the mob pounding on the door to the House chamber. Someone shouted up to us, duck, then lie down, then ready your gas masks. Shortly after, there was a terrifying banging on the chamber doors. 
I will never forget that sound. Uncertain what would happen next, I sent a text message to my wife. I love you and the babies. Please hug them for me. Trump supporters began their assault on our Capitol. Radio communications from the Metropolitan Police Department highlight how during and following President Trump's speech, Trump supporters descended on the Capitol. Give me DSL up here now, DSL! The rioters have free reign in the Speaker of the House's offices. Protecting Mike that they're with them a lot. We need Capitol Police, I think, coming down the hallway. They're pounding the doors trying to find her. And I told my daughter Tabitha, I told her how sorry I was, and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad... I don't want to come back to the Capitol. <laughs> of all the terrible, brutal things I saw and I heard on that day, and since then, that one hit me the hardest. We'll be right back. A highlight of the House manager's case against Donald Trump has been the damning video evidence from January 6th showing the culmination of Trump's months-long effort to overturn the election. Now, as I've said before, the video alone makes the case. And more than just the words posted by the rioters themselves, there was a never-before-seen surveillance video from the Capitol. The 100 senators, Democrats and Republicans who will decide Trump's fate got to see just how close they and their staffs came to being face-to-face with the MAGA lynch mob, including Senators Schumer and Romney, who had to be saved when they were heading toward the mob, Romney being alerted by the heroic Capitol Police officer Eugene Goodman. Members of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's staff can be seen running for cover in one of their offices. Minutes later, a group of rioters takes control of that very hallway and begin banging on that same door. Joining me now, Jill Weinbanks, former assistant Watergate prosecutor. Um, and we'll be joined a little bit later by another guest, I believe. But for now, we're going to stick with you, Jill. I, I worry that, you know, even in a case as strong as this, you can't convince a juror who's already decided to acquit, right? This, to me, is sort of the Emmett Till condition. When you see the jury, because you're going to have a trial, but they were never going to convict. They're just going to nullify the case. If you're in that kind of a situation... I don't know. Is there, is there some way you change your argument thinking you might be able to overcome that? Or, or do we just kind of have to accept that that's where we are? I don't think we can accept that that's where we are. I think that we have to stay optimistic that there will be people like Senator Cassidy who actually hear the arguments and change their vote based on it. I think that there is a chance because the power of the presentation so far has been unbelievable. I, for one, was dubious that they could do this without live witnesses, but they have. No live witness could have been any more convincing than what the video showed. The evidence has filled every gap in possible argument. The defense is left with no legal basis to object and no factual basis. So maybe there will be some who will hear the evidence. Now, of course, they have to be in the room, and we know that there are some who are 
absenting themselves, which is a despicable thing for a senator to do. That shouldn't happen. So I don't think we can accept it, but I think that probably maybe the reality is that you aren't going to get 17 who, despite the evidence, will vote as the evidence shows. It's still worth having this trial so that we can go ahead with the public understanding. I agree with you. I, so, so I have been viewing this as sort of almost a truth, maybe not reconciliation, but at least it's a, it's yes. a truth commission, because now no one can argue that they don't understand what happened fully. Right. Even Fox played some of it. I don't know how much they played of it, but you're seeing members of Congress being whisked out. We're going to show that video. They're just being like running out. You don't see a single Republican. Josh Hawley's not out there being like fists up. I'm with you guys. Let me talk to you. No, they're all running together. You see the um the Pelosi staff members um, who were barricaded in the conference room, um, you know, you know, you can see them running into this conference into this room where they have to, like, shut the door. And this is them watching themselves, um, watching themselves on video, you know, during the trial. Um, you see the vice president of the United States being rushed out of the Capitol. And then they did this timeline where you're like, he's minutes away from maybe being lynched because that was a lynch mob. Does it surprise you? Jill, even though these people are super partisans, that so many of them have been dismissive of it when this isn't just about them. It's about their staffs who are normally like young, young people. And it's about the vice president of the United States as well as them. And it's Mm -hmm. about fundamentally democracy. This was an attempt to overturn the vote of millions and millions of Americans, 81 million precisely. So we have to take that into account. It is surprising to me that they can so easily ignore the reality. And although the, you mentioned the timeline, which was a brilliant device that they used to present the evidence, and they showed the blue line being breached, but that through line never was. I think the evidence is so clear that you cannot possibly acquit based on the evidence. If you want to just say, well, I'm a politician and I don't care about that, I hope that there will be Democratic uh, candidates to challenge any upcoming election of those people who vote to acquit. You, you, you talked about the timeline, just so, for those who didn't see this, because this was brilliant. So the, there's this video that shows the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, who, again, his own <laughs> His own, you know, supposed friend, Donald Trump, had was basically had basically sicked this mob on him. He gets rushed out. This happens at 2.13 p.m. That's the timestamp of this video. So hopefully we can show that video. It's cut for. So he's being rushed out of the Capitol on January 6th mm-hmm. at 2.13. Then at 2.24... Donald Trump tweets and attacks him. So Mike Pence now is is been rushed out. Almost less than 15 minutes later, you have Trump tweeting, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify, da 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 right? He attacks him not long yes. after he's just been rushed out. Then you had Mike Lee throw this tantrum yesterday, and it turns out what he was talking about was that Trump had placed a call, got Mike Lee, Mike Lee gives the phone to Tommy Tuberville, and Tuberville says to Trump, they just took the vice president out. I gotta go. <laughs> So Trump knew Mike Pence was in danger and he still kept attacking him. To me, that's sort of case closed. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the timeline does intersperse what was happening in the Capitol with what Donald Trump was saying, tweeting or not doing. 
So from the moment he knew, and really he knew before they went, that this was the foreseeable consequences of his words. But then as the reports came in that the Capitol had been breached, did he send federal troops? Did he say to his supporters? And we know because we saw supporters through a bullhorn repeating the tweet that he finally said, saying, go home. If he had done that immediately, this wouldn't have happened. By the time he did it, the adrenaline was so high, there was no chance that they were going to turn back. And it was too late by then. So, yes, he's the only one who could have stopped it. Exactly. Uh, And we now have Glenn Kirshner. Okay, I promised you guys there was another person coming that we had a little trouble getting you on. But, Glenn, you were here. Glenn, um, so same question to you. If you have Republicans begging Trump, including Lindsey Graham, saying, please, Donald Trump, please, Mr. President, end this attack. Chris Christie, his own friends, his own supporters. Don't didn't the Republicans alone prove today that Trump was the leader of this mob? Joy, before, during and after, this was a Donald Trump production. And I agree with Jill. Not only were these consequences reasonably foreseeable based on Donald Trump's words, but frankly, violence was more than just predictable. It was inevitable and it was Donald Trump's goal, right? This was his aim. This was his design. And here's the thing that I don't know that we've we've paid direct attention to. Yes, this trial was on an article of impeachment for inciting an insurrection. But Joy, this was a murder trial. This was a murder trial because Donald Trump took his weapon of choice, which was an angry mob, pointed it in the direction of the U.S. Capitol, and he pulled the trigger. And what happened? Officer Brian Sicknick was killed. Others died. Others were gravely injured. The only thing I wish I had seen the the House managers do, and they were brilliant from start to finish, is I wish if they could have called just one witness, if they could have called Brian Sicknick's mother and put a very real Mm. face of loss and horror and devastation, you know, before the American people, not for political reasons, but to show what Donald Trump, he killed somebody, not on Fifth Avenue, but at the U.S. Capitol. And the only question is, are these Republican senators going to let him get away with it? Do you do you think they should have called other witnesses, too? Because I wouldn't have mind if they called, you know, give a couple of these uh, insurrectionists you know, some partial immunity so they could come and testify because they're all saying, yeah, I was following Trump. Yeah, Trump was my leader. Trump may had me do this. Like, do you think that they're missing an opportunity by not calling witnesses? Glenn, I do. And I don't know if they struck a deal or they were afraid of who the Republicans might call if the Dems called uh, witnesses. I think it was an opportunity lost because as much as we appreciated the managers themselves who were victims of the insurrection talking about their experiences Anytime you try a violent crime case, and this is a violent crime case, yes, it's a political case, but at its core, it's about violence, violence perpetrated by Donald Trump through his angry mob. You need to put the victims, the actual victims on the stand. So many people were injured. I wish we had seen the, the testimony of some of those brave Capitol Police officers who could have testified. Some lost an eye, some lost fingers, some lost cognitive abilities. Let's see the real face of the horror and the pain and the devastation inflicted by Donald Trump. I think that might have taken the presentation to another level. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I wish they would call witnesses, too. Jill Weinbanks and Glenn Kirshner, uh, thank you both. We'll be right back. Tomorrow, the former president's lawyers will present their defense case. They're only planning to use one day to deliver their arguments. Lawyer Bruce Castor told Fox News that he will argue that the entire proceeding is unconstitutional, bad public policy, and is setting a bad precedent for the nation. Castor said that the team plans to discuss the First Amendment and says the defense will spend a great deal of time on what the president said, the context in which he said it. What context would that be? I mean, he said, stop the steal. He did a whole rally saying stop the steal by any means necessary one of a country. And then a bunch of people rioted screaming stop the steal. Context. Well, that's tonight's readout. Tune into MSNBC all day tomorrow for continuing coverage of the second impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. 